You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Lord Jesus, we come before you so excited to hear what the Spirit is going to say to us, Lord. As we look at prophecy in the Old Testament and how it points to you, Jesus, we're in awe and we're strengthened in our faith. We're challenged. We're intrigued. We're, we're wondering what, when the, the future um, events will happen, Lord. And so we look with anticipation our, as our faith is challenged uh, between learning what it says and how you fulfilled all these scriptures, Lord. What a blessing. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that you would fill us to overflowing um, by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Would you just show us the things that will just fortify us and strengthen our faith and our peace and our joy and our hope. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, one thing that I usually forget to do is introduce myself because I figure most of you know me. But my name is Lori Cook. I've been married to the pastor for coming up on 35 years next month. Yay! So uh, what a privilege it is to share with you. If, uh, if you guys missed our Battle Ready weekend, last weekend, our boot camp, uh, we did record it, and did we put it up anywhere? It is in process. Yes, it is in process, so that is okay. So I just wanted to recap last week what Stephanie talked about, the portraits of Jesus. She had five characters that she talked about. Um, in the book Adam, and he was the one that brought sin, and we know Jesus redeemed that sin. Moses, he delivered the nation of Israel from bondage, and we know he is a type of Christ, a picture of Jesus, as he delivers us from the bondage of our sin. Joshua, his name means salvation, and I know we recently went through the book of Joshua, but Joshua is also a type or a picture of Jesus. And David, he is He was the chosen king, and we know Jesus is our king. And Esther, she was the mediator between her people and the king, her husband. And by her boldness, the Lord used it to protect and to uh, allow her people, the Jews, to fight back when an edict was one to murder them. And we know that Jesus is our mediator between God, and he's the one that gives us light life. So uh, chapter two, seeing Jesus through the port, uh, the prophecies in the Old Testament. And that's what is so remarkable. Even when we can't see ahead, we can trust who's already there. I love that quote. Even when we can't see what is ahead, we can trust who is already there. And that is the beauty about studying and digging into seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. Second Peter 1.21 says this, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star shines in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men who God spoke as they were moved 
by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to study today. You know, when I was first a Christian, I was new to God's word, studying God's word. I really didn't know prophecy. I was raised in a Catholic home. And so there was really no study of God's word, but only a few little homilies and a little five-minute snack, I call it, um, every Sunday. And yet God used that foundation. When I got saved, I was just so hungry for the word of God. And so if you're a new believer, this might be all brand new to you. But what we're going to talk about is um, scriptures in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled in the New Testament. As believers, we can see the examples of Jesus' presence and assurance all through scripture. The Old Testament and the New Testament are so linked together. We often think of Jesus as only being physically present in the New Testament. But did you know that he was actually present and active in the Old Testament from the beginning? It is so important to study how Jesus makes his presence known in every part of the Bible. And this will help us to experience his presence in our day-to-day lives right now. Jesus is never absent on the pages of scripture, and he is certainly not absent on the pages of our stories and your stories either. From cover to cover, he is there. From Genesis to Revelation, we're going we're gonna to look at that today. So today we're going to go through looking at Jesus in the Old Testament through prophecy, and we have four points. Prophecy found in prayers and praise. Prophecy found in the Psalms. Prophecy found in the prophets, and prophecy found in the Messiah. And the neat thing about all of these is they fortify our faith. I'm so intrigued with the number of prophecies about Jesus that have come to fruition about his life, his death, and resurrection. And we know that there are well over 300. I remember reading at one point there's 365, enough for one day of the year. Of course, there are some that haven't been fulfilled yet about his second coming, and we'll talk about that at the end. But I love sharing that part to non-believers. It is so shocking to them. When you start to get into the amount of scriptures that Jesus fulfilled 100%, it is shocking. It's mind-blowing. And it, it's a supernatural evidence of the power of his word. Turn to page 49 in our book, and I'm just going to read the definitions of prophecy. And they did it well as they defined it here in page 49. So prophecy, a noun, which you remember is a person, place, or thing, a message concerning future events and how they relate to people. Prophecy a verb. So that means to speak. It's the act or occurrence of prophecy being shared or announced. There's messianic prophecy, and this talks about a future promise that is specific to the promised Messiah, who we know is Jesus, coming in the flesh as king who will bring justice and ultimately right all of the wrongs that have resulted from sin. We know the prophet, that is the vessel whom God uses um, that God would speak directly and then who would convey these prophecies to other people. 
we know that there's major prophets, and that is um, in the Old Testament. We have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Well, that's the book. Ezekiel and Daniel. As a general rule, they are identified by using the term major because of their length and focus on broader themes and topics. For example, one of the broader themes in the prophets, the major prophets, is holiness. You know, we see that in Isaiah and, and all of these that I've already mentioned. The minor prophets, uh, also referred to as the 12, they include Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. These books are given the term minor because they are shorter and their message is more narrowly focused. For example, the focus in Joel is the coming of the Holy Spirit. So, um, Christopher Wright says this, the Old Testament tells the story that Jesus completes. Isn't that intriguing? The Old Testament tells a story that Jesus completes. We know that in Genesis 3.15, that talks about the seed of a woman. And we know that a woman doesn't have a seed. And so this is a the, the first mention of the coming Messiah. That is Jesus. Because we know that Mary was um, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and conceived supernaturally. On page 46 or 56 of our book... You can turn there. I'll read that quote, page 56, if you have a book. Hmm. Maybe it's in another section. Well, let me read it. It says, from Genesis to Malachi, the ancient people of God waited for the Messiah to come. Similarly, we await the return of Jesus to rescue us from the hurt of this broken world once and for all and to establish the new heavens and the new earth. Before then, we have the everyday reality of waiting on Jesus to intervene in some way. And we see that all through scripture, that Jesus intervenes in some way or another. We are all waiting for something. What are you waiting for? Fill in the blank. It takes a tremendous amount of patience to wait for something that your heart desires but hasn't been realized yet. What fortifies our faith? What produces patience? We know that trials do that. But our part is to allow the trials to produce in us the fruit of patience in our life. And we will be more like Christ. And to be joyful in all of it. So we wait for promises to be fulfilled, don't we? Number one, prophecy found in prayers and praise fortifies our faith. Here we have the example of Hannah. We've talked about Hannah. Here's the setting in Judges chapter 21, verses 25. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that is a kind of reminds us of what's going on today. But turn with me to 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. Specifically, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And I'm just going to kind of summarize this story. There was a certain man named Elkanah. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The other was Pernina. Pernina had children, but Hannah had no children. So in verse 4, 
On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give a double portion because he loved her. He loved Hannah, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. And we see Hannah, that her husband was a religious man, that he kept the feast and he regularly worshipped at the tabernacle, which was in Shiloh. And yet Hannah, she had no children, but her deep desire within her heart, and she clung to the Lord desperately as she wanted a male son, a male child, a son. She had anguish, but you know what? The Lord was weaving in her heart, in the deep crevices and the recesses of her soul, patience. And that trial would be an encouragement to all of us. In 1 Samuel 1.20, but it says, In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. So the neat thing is, Hannah's dream was realized, that longing desire, but not right away. But you know what? It took her so deep and so close to the Lord that she was able to hear the voice of the Lord. And her son Samuel was the answer to the people that, that cried out for a prophet. And he would be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. And he would guide those people from the time of judges to the time of the kings. So Mama taught her son to listen to the Lord. And, and we do see that in Samuel's life. The setting we find Hannah is similar to ours today. It takes place in Israel during the time of the judges. Joshua's generation had all died off, and the cycle was prosperity, idolatry, captivity, and then repentance. And it kept going around and around, and it was just this continual cycle that the people found themselves in. But when God blessed them with prosperity in their abundance, they forgot the Lord. They took their eyes off of him. They became complacent in their relationship with God. And then God allowed their enemies to gain power over them. But it was in their oppression that they cried out to the Lord. And they repented as they suffered. Their hearts turned back to God. And how easy that we can slip into this vicious cycle. So let's read 1 Samuel 2 verses one through two, and this is Hannah's response in praise. And she says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies. Notice it's plural. Because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. So the horn speaks of strength, and victory. And my enemies speaks of it wasn't just the other wife, the other woman, Pernina, but that was her immediate rival. But yet she recognized that there was a spiritual war going on. And we did talk about this last week, being battle ready in our boot camp. And it also mentions in our book, Ephesians chapter 6. I just love how God ties everything in. That's on page 64. So here's the prophecy. If you continue on to 1 Samuel 2, verses 10, this is where 
we have the prophecy about Jesus. And so I'm going to read that. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So his king obviously is a prophecy of Jesus. And this is the first time in the Old Testament that the Messiah is mentioned as anointed, the king of kings, which we know is Jesus. This was over a thousand years before the Messiah would come, this prophetic utterance through the mouth of one waiting and desiring deliverance, both her own and for her people. And one day, we would see that. Now, Hannah didn't really get to see that personally, but we can read it in the pages of the New Testament and know that Jesus came and he is the King of Kings. That Hebrew word for anointed is the word Messiah, and it's quite comforting to know that our Messiah will battle with us and not abandon us in whatever wars that we face. And as we studied in Joshua chapter 5 the last few months, we know that that story was that of the commander of the Lord's army showing up when Joshua really needed help. And that was a typology or a picture of Jesus. But we, we see here, Hannah is this beautiful portrait, a prophecy found in prayer and praise. And how we see how her faith was fortified. She goes on to take her son to the tabernacle and leaves him there. How many of you, after he was weaned, I don't know, maybe they, they didn't have milk or whatever. Maybe they didn't wean the kids until four or five or six. Could you imagine taking your small little son that you had prayed for, that you had earnestly desired, and giving him back to the Lord? And so we are encouraged by Hannah's faith, aren't we? So number two, prophecy is found in the Psalms, and that fortifies our faith. Psalms is a collection of inspired songs that the nation of Israel would use to worship God. At least 25 of them are prophetic. And, but there are 70 specific references to Christ in the Psalms that are fulfilled in the New Testament. And then there's the Messianic Psalms. And those are reiterated in the 11 of the New Testament books that we read, especially in the Gospels and the book of Acts. So turn to Psalm 2 with me. Psalm 2, this is known as the cor coronation psalm. Psalm 2. And I'm going to read that. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Who will sit in the heavens? He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance 
and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. Iron usually speaks of judgment in God's word. You shall dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Boy, don't those nations need that. Our nation does. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you will perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. Guess that would be all of us, right? We are blessed because we put our trust in him. The people of Israel, they longed for rescue, but what they really needed was redemption. And that's what we have in Jesus. There are many more prophecies found in the Psalms. And so number three, there's prophecy found in the minor and major prophets, and that also fortifies our faith. God is a God of detail. Many prophecies about Jesus' life, where he would be born, his nature, his name, his ministry, Jesus' betrayal, and the details surrounding his death and his resurrection and his exaltation are all foretold in the Old Testament. And as I mentioned, as we dig into them, we see that 100% of them have been fulfilled with, with Jesus' coming. And Micah is one of those books. And he is considered a minor prophet, as I mentioned. So turn with me to Micah chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 2 to 5. So Micah chapter 5, verses 2 to 5. And this is about the coming Messiah. Verses 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, if Ephathra, if, if I'm not having a good opportunity to pronounce this word but I will tell you what it means in a moment though you are little among the thousands of Judah yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel who's going forth are from of old from everlasting therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth and then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of his name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. And now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. So Bethlehem, we know, is the house of bread. And this prophecy is talking about where the Messiah would be born. And it's actually quoted in Matthew chapter 2, verses 5 through 6, when the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they were asking Herod about, Herod was asking them about the birth of the Messiah. And so we know that it was fulfilled that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We, we know 
that this is also fulfilled in Ephesians 2, verse 14, and it says, For he himself is our peace, who has broken down the middle wall of separation. And also Colossians 1.20, it says, And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, have made peace through the blood of his cross. So again, we have peace through Jesus, and that was fulfilled in the New Testament. Let's turn to page 77 in our book. I just want to point this out because it's very well written. It's this page right here, and it talks about the detail of Micah and where in the Old Testament it was mentioned, what it talked about, and then how it is connected to the New Testament. Um, so go ahead and check that out if you haven't looked at that already. David, David Gusick says this, After the time of Israel's trial, the Lord will restore gloriously. The ruler born in Bethlehem will tenderly care for his flock in the strength of the Lord, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. The greatness of the ruler from Bethlehem becomes the standing of his people. They abide because of his greatness. And this one shall be peace. It isn't just that Jesus from Bethlehem, he brings peace, but that is his name. He is peace. And number four, prophecy found in the Messiah fortifies our faith. And we're going to go through a lot of scripture that have to do, I just picked a few in the Old Testament, mostly in Isaiah, but also how it's fulfilled in the New Testament. So maybe just jot these down as I go through them. When you read the New Testament, do you ever wonder why certain details are in the story? And I often thought, why is it such a big deal about how much silver that Judas received when he betrayed Jesus? The reason being is it was prophesied in the Old Testament. And then we see it in the New Testament, exactly how the Old Testament said it would happen. But you know what? As we look at the Old Testament, we see that God, he always cares about the injustices done to the innocent. And he cares about our desperate need for a Savior. This familiar portion of scripture in Isaiah, it brings some life-giving truths about the coming Messiah, all of which Jesus fulfilled. So turn with me a very familiar piece of scripture, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Mostly we hear this around Christmas time, but as you guys are turning there, we're going to notice the character of Jesus that he will have and he will personally meet us right where we're at, that he is the wonderful counselor. And in the Hebrew, it infers the idea of military planning. And whenever you think of the military and their planning, it's very precise, it's very strategic, it's very systematic. But the interesting thing is, doesn't Jesus work in our lives? I think of our heart, I just had this picture that our heart is an onion. It's multi, it has so many layers, right? And, and we don't really understand it. It's very complex to us. There's a lot of things we don't really understand. And yet the Lord, Jesus, will bring order. He'll bring peace to our chaos. 
And, and he may not always bring understanding right when we want it. Like, why'd you do this, Lord? But eventually he will. Especially if we, have, we live a surrendered life. He is planning and organizing. And you know what? He is working all things together for good. I sometimes think, why did I run into Lance at that very moment? In time, that, that very moment that I lost my gas cap the day before and he was in the wrong city. But that very moment took some planning, right? It took some planning on the Lord's part to allow us two perfectly strangers coming from totally different lives and backgrounds, but he chose to intersect our life because he had a plan for our life. I just, I am constantly amazed at that. And you too, I'm sure, have those kind of stories in which the Lord orchestrated certain events, whether it be you met someone or something happened. And, and so the Lord never makes mistakes. He never wastes our pain. And he is working every detail out for his glory, for his time. In that military systematic way, he is planning things in our life. And so we can trust him. And our faith is really strengthened about that. So the first parable, or the first scripture in Isaiah, well, let me read it, because I, 9-6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There we have that word again. And the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And it goes on. And so talking about Jesus, that a child is born, that a son is given. And so now, one prophecy, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And, and that says, he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding, be seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of the people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. This is a prophecy talking about Jesus' parables will not be heard. There were times in which the people did not hear what he was trying to teach them. And this is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 13, verses 13 to 15. The next prophecy, the Messiah would be a stone that would challenge people and cause them to fall. That is found in Isaiah 8, verses 14, and I'll read that. He will be a holy place, both for Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. There's a reason why the religious leaders rejected him. They were challenged by him. They were upset at him so much that they, they killed him. And now here it's fulfilled in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 to 8. And it says this, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what 
they were destined for. Another prophecy, Christ's ministry would start in Galilee. And that is found in Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 2. Nevertheless, there will no more there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land, deep darkness, a light has dawned. So beautiful. You just see the contrast of it. And here's where it was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. And I'll just kind of summarize. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what is said through the prophet Isaiah. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Wow. So you see in the Old Testament, and now we're talking about in the New Testament where it was fulfilled. Doesn't that just build your faith? All of these prophecies, and we're not going to go through thousands of them, just a few. Jesus will free the captives. And this one is an amazing story. So that is found in Isaiah 61, verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners. And this is really cool. Here's where it's fulfilled. So Jesus doing his ministry, goes to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, there was a synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up and read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which was handed to him. He didn't say, oh, I think I'm going to look through the scrolls and I'm going to read this one. There was someone else in the picture, and they handed him the scroll of Isaiah. Isn't that amazing? And so I'll continue. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, which was the above scripture, the exact scripture, and he read that. He read that, and then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened to him, and he began saying to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm the one that is going to open the eyes of the blind. I am the one that is going to set the captives free. Is it, that's just an incredible story, and that's found in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. Another prophecy that was discussed and brought up in Exodus 12, verse 46, about none of Jesus' bones would be broken. It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house and do not break any of the bones. Okay, so that's talking about a lamb, right? But it's, it's prophesying about Jesus. Here it's where it's fulfilled in John chapter 19, verses 31 to 36. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. 
these things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And so, so many places throughout the word of God, it gives you the reason so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. In a lot of, in a lot of Bibles, it will say in very small print, kind of right next to that, the Old Testament um, scripture. And so you can see where these things were fulfilled. Also, in some Bibles, there's a little star next to it, and that is a messianic proph- um, prophecy. Another prophecy that was fulfilled, that the Messiah's blood would be spilled for atonement. And so in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says, For the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And we know as we celebrated Easter, we also uh, remembered his death on Good Friday, right? And his blood was shed for our sin. And then here it is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 26, verses 28. And it says, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, the forgiveness of sins. So beautiful. As we continue to wait for unfulfilled prophecy about end times, we can wait with hope, knowing that everything will be fulfilled at just the appropriate time. But I wanted to share one of my favorite prophecies, and this is found about the place called Petra. And those of you that have gone to Israel or are signed up to go to Israel in May, you are going to see that if you sign up for that uh, extension. But you might recognize Petra. You can go ahead and put those pictures up. Um, In 1989, there was a movie called Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And so when we go to Petra, there's a very small opening, and you're walking about a mile. And and towards the end of the mile, you have red cliffs on both sides, right? And as you walk through, this is called the treasury. So this is not a real building, but it's carved out of sandstone, uh, or a red rock. Of course, you see the cool camels there, but we were there. And if you go in there, there's, it's maybe 10 to 15 feet deep. It's not really too large in there, although you would think it would. And of course, Indiana Jones, he says that the treasure's in there, right? But regardless of that, this is talking about Micah chapter 2, verses 12, and Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6. And this is going to be the area that we believe the Jews will flee the Antichrist when he attacks them. Um, And he begins the persecution of the Jews. So first, they're going to be his best friend. They're going to build his temple. And then that's at three and a half years. And then at at, at three and a half years, he's going to go into the holiest of holies. And he's going to proclaim himself to be God. At that point, the Jews' eyes will open. They will be so terrified, and then they will flee to the mountains. Um, It is also mentioned in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 16, and I'll read that. When you see the abomination of desolation, that's what I explained, that the Antichrist at three and a half years into the tribulation will come into the holiest of holies, declare himself God. That's the abomination of desolation, and that is spoken about in Daniel, the prophet, standing in the holy place. And then it says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. 
And so many people believe that these mountains are going to be Petra. It's um, very interesting. I don't know if you can even show the pictures towards the end. There was more where you can see little uh, openings kind of way up in um, the wall of the, the, the red sandstone. If you could go back to those pictures. This is all, there we go. So all throughout these cliffs, so once you pass the treasury, that beautiful uh, carved area there, then there's all these little channels of dirt, but the red rocks are right there, and there's all these kinds of um, small little openings that at one point, maybe in the 50s or the 60s, a lot of homeless people decided to make their homes in. And once the people of Jordan realized this treasure that they had, they resettled them in towns kind of outside of this area of Petra. And, um, well, well, back to the, the donkeys, what we see with the stones all there. So imagine a flash flood. When the waters come, they just rush from the um, top of the mountains, and, and they actually, um, that will actually be an area where all of the water will, will flow through. And so they have those to kind of protect the, you know, because you see the, the big rocks that have fallen. So there is all kinds of incredible areas. And there's also an amphitheater, and that's where Lance kind of teaches us more about uh, prophecy and about how God will protect and how Jesus will actually be there with the Jews during that last three and a half years of the tribulation and how the Lord will take care of them in that time. This is also mentioned in Daniel chapter 11, verses 41. It talks about Moab and Edom and Ammon, and those are all in Jordan. So it's pretty exciting um, to see that prophecy that has not yet been fulfilled. You know, we continue to look at Israel. And when you kind of wonder, like, I wonder when they're going to build their temple. We actually, when we go to Israel, we actually will go to a place. Um, Kayla, what's the name of that place? That, uh, the what? Yes. Temple Institute. Thank you. I forgot last time. But the Temple Institute is actually a a group of people that have spent lots of money preparing everything to be ready for animal sacrifice. They now have the golden menorah, which is set always, it's always moving in the old city. It's in this, and, and, and a while ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, when we'd go to Israel, that wasn't, wasn't quite there. They had the mold, but they didn't have enough money for the gold, and, and it was millions of dollars, but they were able to actually make a golden menorah that's probably this tall, and it's in this glass dome that sometimes it can go down below to protect it. It's all alarmed and everything, right? You guys, you've been there, Bella, right? Um, it, it moves all over, and so sometimes when I'd be running, I'd be all, oh, okay, here it is, and, and every trip has been where, where they've moved it. So it's just a reminder to the people that, that pretty soon they're going to have their temple. Um, and pretty soon the Lord is going to come back for his church and, and for his people. And that, those are all prophecies that have not yet been fulfilled. We also know that there's many prophesies, prophecies 
um, in the final act, which is the book of Revelation, which is so exciting. And we see some of the book of Revelation starting to play out, starting to prepare the environment for a one-world government, a one-world monetary system, a one-world religion. So, also, the book of Daniel and Ezekiel are also very rich in end-time prophecies that have not yet been fulfilled. That is a whole other lifetime of classes that we cannot talk about right now, but uh, a great, intriguing study if you are interested and you, like your heart leaped, I would start to dig in and start to study it. And so the prophecies found in the Messiah, they fortify our faith in the word. So in closing, prophecy found in prayers and praise. There's prophecy found in Psalms. There's prophecy found in prophets. There's prophecy found in the Messiah. And all of these fortify our faith. Jesus' story reveals God's incredible plan and his unending love for mankind. And as we study the Old Testament, we are affirmed of his plan for us because he wants to rescue us from the bo- the bondage of Satan but through his redemption plan his redemptive plan by sending Jesus to the world he brings the remedy he brings salvation and it is so intricately woven in detail that it would be impossible to miss the messiah however the very people he came to save are the ones that have been blinded in their hearts and in their eyes, and they missed it. But our faith is fortified and strengthened in the word because of each prophecy that has been fulfilled. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you just excited for your work, excited as you reveal more of yourself to us as we're studying the Old Testament as we see prophecy being unveiled before our very eyes, those prophecies that have been fulfilled and those that have not yet been fulfilled, Lord, we ask that you would continue to strengthen and fortify our faith, that it would remain strong because we know in the end times there will be persecution. There will be a great apostasy, a great falling away, and yet there will be a great revival. So many crazy things And we know that we're living in the last days. Would you just stir up our hearts and strengthen our faith so that we may stand in the evil day, having done all to stand. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so excited that you're joining us. And we pray that you were blessed and challenged by the prophecy. And so we have some questions that we're going to be talking about. One thing that we shared, that I shared towards the end, Well, let me back up and let me allow the panel to introduce themselves. Hi, I am Kayla. Lori's my mom, and I'm excited to be here. Um, My name is Pernila Swanson. Um, I'm not related to Lori, but I am (laughs) looking forward to being here. (laughs) Awesome. We're so glad you're here. So our first question that we're going to talk about, which I already shared, what is your favorite prophecy? go first or do you want to go first does it matter yeah all right I'll go um I was just sharing when my mom um asked that question I was like well obviously anything about the return of Christ like I'm just so stoked and ready for that like today tomorrow yesterday um any day (laughs) any day now um so I was thinking a few of the ones that mention um 
I like any of the promises and the prophecies um, that he's coming quickly. And I think that um, because these prophecies haven't been fulfilled yet, like Jesus himself said, like, behold, I'm coming quickly. Um, he says that Matthew 24, and then you have it in Revelation chapter 22. You have it in John 14. You have it in First um, Thessalonians 5, um, talking about how he's going to come like a thief in the night. He's going to come quickly. And because he fulfilled all those other prophecies, talking about himself, like where he was going to be born and like how he would die and when he would ri- raise again from the dead, we can trust that he's going to fulfill those prophecies. And um, my favorite one, though, out of all of those is actually out of Job um, chapter 19. And I'll just read it right now. Um, it was kind of like when everyone was questioning him, like about what God had done in his life and like stripped everything from him. Um, in Job 19 verse 25 through 27, he says, for I know that my redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this, I know that in my flesh, I shall see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another, how my heart yearns within me. And I think that that's like, every time I hear it, I'm like, oh, it gets so emotional because like, that's like, that's how I feel. Like I'm ready. He's going to, he's going to be here. He's going to stand here with his own two feet. And like, um, the hope that Job had, he didn't see fulfilled before he passed away. And he knew that he wouldn't see it fulfilled before he passed away, but he still had hope. And he's like, I know I'm going to see my redeemer. And so that's still true for us today. Like we didn't get to see him 2000 years ago, but we might get to see him next week. And I'm like, ah. That's I'm just waiting for that and I'm ready. So that's probably my favorite prophecy that's been fulfilled, but also will be fulfilled again. It's like a double prophecy. Very lo- very much love that one. What about you, yeah, um, I was talking with my mom earlier, and I was like, I don't think I've ever actually sat down and thought about what's my favorite prophecy like of all time. And so I was kind of laughing about this. I'm like, okay, what do I what do I choose? <laughs> um, but I was thinking about, and what came to mind first, just through conversations during the week, and then even today, um, just that second coming of Christ. Um, and then one thing that I think um, was in the book, it was saying how it's it's not um, it's a hopeful anticipation that we have, and so it's not something that um, is that we cling to. That's just because we think it's going to true, but it will. And it will happen is a matter of, of if, but when, when he comes for his bride. And one thing that I, um, I wrote down a few verses, but one in Revelation 1-7, like you had started to mention earlier, but behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him and all of the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. And so, and then going on, knowing that we're, our hearts should not be troubled because he is coming back. Um, John 14, 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And um, in the verses before, actually, I think it's in verse 1 or 2, but it says, let not your heart be troubled. So even just going back to that and knowing that, you know, he is, he is coming. He's on his way. A matter of, like you had mentioned, next week. I don't know if we're going to be the generation to see the the coming of the Lord, but that would be amazing to be there. <laughs> yeah. It's been interesting because people's hearts are so much more open to hear that. When I would say, oh, this is all happening, they are shocked. I'm like, it is in the word. It talks about pestilence, which is incurable diseases. And it talks about that there will be wars and rumors of wars. Those are things that we see. And so I think 
now more than ever, the world is listening because they know that something in the Bible, they may not know where, but that's our responsibility is to share where. And I, I have shared with several friends, and they're intrigued, and it, it really challenges me and my faith to be able to have the answers to encourage them on prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled yet. And the one thing, that, as I mentioned in my study, I say every prophecy that Jesus, that we're talking about his life, death, resurrection, and burial, and all of that, were all fulfilled. But even then, it, even the skeptics, I know that they're thinking, but they didn't ask, so how, how, what must I do to be saved? I think it's just part of their, their process. So I think it's an amazing opportunity to share with nonbelievers about prophecy. And a, as a, as a, when I was a nonbeliever, if I would have heard this, it would have been life-changing for me. And so I, I am so glad that we are studying prophecy. And again, I, you know, even just going to Petra, what, what an amazing opportunity that is. So Israel 23 in May. Uh, trip is open and signups, we're taking signups. So if that's something that intrigues you, then sign up. Okay, my second question is, as we see prophecy fulfilled, how does that strengthen your faith? Oh my goodness, how doesn't it? Like, I, I think about this all the time, like how um, prophecy underlines, highlights the validity of the Bible and like how... No other religion can boast the fact, like, it's, it's success rate, you know, as far as, like, making a prophecy and it comes true. Um, the Bible is irrefutable in that regard. You can't, you can't say, well, they wrote that after the fact. We have, it dates back, you have the, the Dead Sea Scrolls that dated way, way back. They have the book of Esther, and you're like, the book of Isaiah, and all of these things prophesied. Um, and then Jesus just comes along and fulfills every single one of them. Like, how do you do that without God? And so I think that for me that that's that's one of the foundational pillars of our faith like that's what strengthens my faith um looking back and remembering the promises that god made to abraham isaac jacob um rahab like all of these people like god made promises to these men and women and then he fulfilled them um proving himself true and so that um is kind of a comfort to me as well because then i look at the promises and i'm like okay i can stand on this promise i can stand on the fact that he's my comforter he's my teacher he's my healer like i you can trust him in those things because he um fulfilled all the other promises and there's like over 300 that jesus fulfilled alone in in his life in his death and resurrection here on earth the first time so when they say hey this is what's coming next i'm like i i know it is it's just a matter of when and i think that that's kind of frustrating for us because we want it to happen now but it brings hope, you know, like that, that hope that does not disappoint. And even as you were just talking um, right now, I was thinking of Second Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. It says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so even when you were talking about patience and how trials build patience, like count it all joy, James chapter 1 talks about that. When you go through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And so for me, life on earth is one big trial and test, just producing patience, waiting for Jesus' return. And so I think for me that that's kind of 
what I stand on every day when I wake up and I'm like, why am I still here on this earth? This just gets worse and worse and worse. I'm like, I know my redeemer's coming back and then I'm going to see him face to face. And we're not left to figure it out on our own. It's not like here's, here's a promise possibly if X, X, Y, these things get done, you know? Um, But in page 76 of the book, um, I love what it was saying about how even while we wait for our hope to be made complete, that we are not alone. That's at the bottom. Um, And because God is not absent, we are not waiting in hopelessness, but in hopeful anticipation, what I was um, saying earlier. But um, watching and seeing prophecy being fulfilled, I mean, that's just showing that God is working, that he is not absent, that he has um, continued to do his work, and I was thinking of, you know, songs, lyrics come to mind mostly, but the Waymaker song, when it says, even when I can't see it, you're working, even when I don't feel it, you're working because we like to go based off of emotion, so a lot of time, I don't feel you working, God, so you must not be with me, you're very absent in this time, but it's like, what if we remove distractions, and we, we hone in our feelings, and we go back to the truth of God's word, then we'd probably hear his voice a little bit clearer, um, but I think doubt is, can be my first instinct um, when it should strengthen when it should strengthen my faith. Um, but declaring God's word over those doubts of okay, how will this happen? How will you bring this to to completion? But always making sure to come back to God's word and His word have what I say or what I think, make sure it lines up with what his word says. And then I realize how wrong I am most of the time. So I think sometimes with other religions or other ways of living, they don't have what we have in prophecy and fulfill prophecy. I think there are some, uh, for example, Mormons, I know that so many things change all the time. And yet, God's word never changes. It is solid from beginning to end. And all the prophecies that were spoken about Jesus, those were all fulfilled. And now we have the things that we look forward to, the the um, unfulfilled prophecies. Which leads to to my third question. What are your thoughts on the prophecies that haven't been fulfilled yet? Keep in the same order. Um, excitement, because I know that we get, you know, we'll get to see that, whether it's here, there, in the air, we, we, we say that around here, but, um, just the excitement of knowing that because he's fulfilled so many, because the Lord has answered himself so many times, answered for himself, we can trust that he's going to do it again. And, um, makes me think of, uh, Matthew 24 verses 42 through 44. It says, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour the, your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready for the son of man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So there's kind of a bit of um, responsibility on us, not a bit, a lot, <laughs> um, to be waiting and ready and prepared and not just, you know, oh, he didn't come back in this generation and that generation passed away and he didn't come back. So what's to say he's going to come back in my generation? And so um, that can kind of alleviate a lot of responsibility from us, but we have to watch and be vigilant and 
be praying for other people's salvation, you know, when that last person comes and then God tells Jesus, like the father says, okay, go get your bride. That could be any day now. And so when you live with that expectation, your life will match up to it. And, um, you want to live a life of holiness, you know, to please the Lord so that when he returns, there's a verse, um, I can't remember what it is right now. I think it's in the book of John. And it's a really heartbreaking verse. Um, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, when the son of man returns, will he really find faith on the earth? And every time I hear that, I'm like, oh, if I have to read it out loud, I can barely get through it. Cause I'm like, I hope so. I hope that he finds us faithful when he returns. Um, I don't want to be found sleeping, you know, when Christ comes back. And so, um, that's kind of the fire under us, you know, to keep us going, to keep the church moving and alive and active and, um, going into all the world and, and giving the gospel like Matthew 28 talks about. And so, um, I want to be diligent with this time and, and, you know, so that expectant and the hopeful anticipation, like you said, um, I think that that's kind of, it should motivate us to action. That's my thought on the prophecies that haven't been fulfilled yet is that we're just, Taking time bomb here, but we gotta be we gotta be faithful and obedient while we're here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I have a lot of that written down in my notes too. Just the excitement that comes from that because they haven't yet been fulfilled, but they will be because God is on His word. He doesn't go back on His promises. He's truthful. And um, but I was thinking, reading through the book this week. Um, when it was talking about Micah chapter five and how the audience or this this chapter is the announcement of hope. But then the audience being spoken to is skeptic because of what has happened. Um, and I think the biggest thing that can happen in me is like this, this unbelief. Uh, and like, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Help me in my, where I lack understanding of your word. And I don't need to know every single detail, every single thing. I think I would freak myself out if I ha- had all this knowledge. And we can't. Our little brains can't even comprehend anything that the Lord has. But it's having like this childlike understanding of, okay, I, I know what your promise says. I know what your word says. And so I'm going to stand on that, stand firm. As we were talking about this past weekend, um, our theme battle ready, even just standing firm on the word of the Lord and having our armor surrounding us completely. But um, one of the scriptures that I had come to mind was um, in Second Peter 1, 20 through 21, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. I think that gives a lot of hope on it. So like, what can I make up today? What, what um, prophecy do I want to behold? Um, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, and that, that kind of also ties into that second question, that this isn't our own works. This isn't of, of what we can do in order to make things happen faster. Our own timeline is not how the Lord operates, even though we can think that it does, but um, the Lord does not bring disappointment. We, we do that on our, on our own, but we wait in, say it again, hopeful anticipation, just excitement, but um, that longing to be with the Lord. Um, so, yeah. I have uh, Luke chapter 21 in verses um, 10 and then going through the end of the chapter, but I'm not going to read it all. It, it just says, actually, it's in verse 20. It says the destruction of Jerusalem. And it says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. That was talking about Petra. And let those who are in the midst of her depart. Let not those who are in the country enter her. 
for these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies. Um, there will be great distress in the land and the wrath upon this people. I don't want to be around for that. But it says it's the coming of the Son of Man. And so this is a prophecy about Jesus' second coming. There will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and the earth distress of nations with perplexity, and the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and from expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man man coming in a cloud with power and great glory now when these things begin to happen look up lift your heads because your redemption draws near here's the importance of watching in verse 34 it says but take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the cares of this life how do we always get so sidetracked with all of that it says the day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare to all of those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. No one's going to escape this. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all the things which will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So how do we escape all of these terrible things? Well, you find that your life is in Christ. You open your heart to him. And it says that you will be saved and you'll be saved from the wrath that is coming on the earth in the second coming. So that is pretty intense. I'd say um, there's one more thing I just wanted to add real quick. Um, in First John 3, 2, I think that this is one of my other favorite ones that, again, hasn't been fulfilled yet because I'm not seeing him face to face. But um, it says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And right now, like the Bible talks about too, kind of like you see through a veil. And then when that veil's removed, like when Christ tore that veil right in half, we saw him for who he is. And, and looking back retrospectively, like we can see him as he is the Messiah. You could look at scripture and it points to him. But um, you can't fully know what what his face looks like. You know what, what his character is, what his voice sounds like. Like, you know, you won't know those things until you see him face to face. And then when we see him, we'll be like him. And I'm like, that's such a hope because right now we're just struggling and this life is hard and so yeah and we don't want to come judgment we don't want to you know god's wrath on us and so just the anticipation that we are are saved from that wrath as believers like we don't have to go through that and so when you put your trust in jesus then you get to see him one day you get to be with him in eternity and then when you see him you'll be like him like you won't be <laughs> struggling with all this sin and um you'll have his character and i just love that that we we get to be like him when we see him so yeah that's what i'm looking forward to what we are talking about, about the end times, if that kind of makes your heart palpitate and you're a little afraid about that, maybe you're not in Christ. Maybe you've never accepted him. You know, you can go to church all your life and not have opened your heart to him. And so that's something that we, we do regularly around here. If there's anyone, maybe you're watching online and you, you can say that if I were to die tonight, would I be in the presence of Jesus? And you're not assured of that salvation. It's as easy as just praying a simple prayer. And, and, and if you want to pray, we'll, we'll pray right now. Um, we, 
it's a very simple prayer, and it goes like this. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. I want to receive you into my heart. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit and teach me how to walk in this new life. Give me an understanding of your word. Thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. It's as simple as that. And if that is you, if you accepted the Lord, call the church. We'll send you a Bible. We will get you um, set up with a discipleship program, disciple one-on-one, whatever it takes for you to grow in your walk with the Lord. And, and then Jesus will truly be your Prince of Peace. And you'll have that peace that passes all understanding. And it will guard your heart and your mind. Because that's what Jesus does. And all of us have done that. All of us um, are walking with him. And we're not perfect. But the Lord teaches us every day. And, and I love how he uses prophecy in our lives to build our faith and to fortify um, our souls. So with that, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for all that you've taught us today. Thank you for this discussion and this panel, Lord. I, I pray for anyone listening, if their hearts are still troubled, Lord, that they would call upon you and be saved. And Lord, that you would just lead them to a, a good church that teaches the Bible and that you would just draw them by your Holy Spirit. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.